afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Ford here on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Good afternoon, Nolan. How are you? I'm good. How are you, sir? Doing pretty good. Uh, we got a good show coming up. You know, uh, earlier this week we heard news that Energy Transfer Partners, they're the folks behind the Dakota Access Pipeline, uh, filed lawsuit against Greenpeace and a couple of dozen dozens of, of, of other groups and individuals uh, because of the protests targeting the Dakota Access Pipeline. Their argument was that those protests organized as they were by environmental groups and other interests were uh, something akin to racketeering uh, is what they're alleging. Uh, they and, and they want to basically hold those groups accountable. They're saying, you know, they, they essentially organized what amounted to criminal activity. They even said terrorism uh, against their effort to build a pipeline, and they want a remedy on it from, from the courts. I have on with me later this show, coming up at 1.30, Paul Barrett. He is a feature writer from Bloomberg. We're going to talk a little bit about this lawsuit. There's been some others. It's, it's a relatively new development, this sort of a tactic in response to those sort of protests. Uh, but there's been a few other lawsuits like this. Paul has been covering them. He's a feature writer for Bloomberg. We'll talk about uh, that with him coming up a little bit later in the program. And I, I say this even as uh, there, there's another pipeline fight in the region, the Line 3 pipeline in Enbridge. Construction was uh, – it wasn't actually in Minnesota, but uh, the, the Line 3 pipeline project being built by Enbridge uh, through Minnesota. I think it touches on a corner of North Dakota, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, it's in our region. I think down in Wisconsin, though, the project was actually halted for some time by protesters. So, uh, you know, it's definitely a tactic the environmental left uses over and over again. Uh, And now, you know, there's an effort to, to, to maybe put a halt to that through these lawsuits in the court. We'll talk with Mr. Barrett about that and, and see Get all the details on that information. You can certainly join the program at any time, 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Um, I want to talk about ethanol for a moment because the North Dakota Farmers Union, as part of a national effort, is ramping up a campaign behind ethanol. Essentially, they want more ethanol in your gas tank. And, and I think what's interesting about this, because the ethanol debate in, in the past, my perception of it has been that ethanol was pushed on its merits, right? It was supposed to be a fuel that was good. It was good for your car, good for the engine, good for the environment. It was, in other words, a good product, right? I mean, most products are sold on their merits. You know, soda is sold because it tastes good. Uh, you know, hot dogs are sold because they taste good. Cars are sold because, uh, you know, they get good gas mileage or, you know, they have powerful engines or uh, their interiors are, are very accommodating and, and very luxurious. I mean, there's all products have selling points. And so typically in the past, ethanol has been sold uh, a, a, as a product, you know, not unlike any other product. And I think what's interesting, I, I noticed a shift. And, and I would I would even argue so far that it's a, a sort of drop in pre- pretenses to this latest campaign behind ethanol, because what Farmers Union is essentially saying, and, and they're coming right out and saying it, I mean, you can hear their spokesperson, uh, he's, he's quoted as saying it in the articles that, that are covering the story, essentially saying that their push for more ethanol is about eating up a surplus crop of corn. Now, what's interesting about that is is no longer 
are we even pretending that ethanol on its own is, is, is a desirous product that Americans want? Because let's be honest, no product that the consumers actually want has to be mandated by the government, right? The government doesn't mandate Coca-Cola sales or Pepsi sales or McDonald's sales or anything else. Nobody's going out there and forcing you to buy cheeseburgers or candy bars, right? We buy those things because we want those things. Cell phones, televisions, gadgets, whatever it is, typically we buy products because we want the product, because we have a need for the product, or we just want it. But when it comes to ethanol, it's mandated has to be part of it. We have a renewable fuel standard, and that standard mandates a certain amount of a certain blend of ethanol, and Farmers Union wants to see a push up in that blend, and it's not even really about Americans wanting the product. It's just about the crop. It's just about eating up corn crop. And I want to know, I want to know what you listeners think of that, because ethanol has been a controversial product for a long time. It's, it's supposedly been the fuel of the future for going on decades now. Uh, it's still being sold in some quarters as, you know, an environmentally friendly uh, fuel. I'm not sure that's entirely true. Um, but, but here we go again. And, and the thing about it, though, is that the ethanol proponents at this point are kind of being honest. It's not really about you needing the fuel. It's not really about the fuel filling a demand that American motorists have for ethanol fuel. It's just about selling corn. What do you think? 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. To me, I think that's a very interesting admission. I think it's a very interesting development that we're not even pretending that ethanol is something that people want anymore. And, and trust me, some people out there say they want it uh, because they want to help the farmers. That's fine. There's nothing, nothing necessarily wrong with that. I want farmers to do well, too. The problem is, is this seems hugely short-sighted to me. It, it, it almost seems as though we're trying, to, we're trying to create a self-licking ice cream cone, right, whereby we grow excess corn, we grow more corn than we actually need, and so we need to find a way to dispose of the corn, so we're trying to get the government to mandate increased use of ethanol so that we have someplace to put the corn. I mean, that's essentially what's, what's happening and that just seems absolutely crazy to me. Maybe these farmers should be growing something other than corn. Maybe the market, there's, there's more corn than the market can, can withstand. I, I think the solution for that is not to get the government to go out there and create artificial demand for the excess corn. I think maybe we need to figure out something else to do with those crops or grow different crops. But that's my thought. What do you think? 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. 701-293-9000 if you want to join in. 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, North Dakota Farmers Union putting a new push behind ethanol. And it's, it's just amazing to me, the justification for the push. Well, we got surplus corn. And so we got to find a way to put it. So let's get the government to mandate more demand for ethanol, which in turn will create more demand for corn which will 
you know, solve the surplus problem because heaven forbid, we just maybe not grow as much corn. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Uh, let's see, uh, Karen, you're up. Well, I agree with you about the corn, but I'm calling about the suing of organizations that sent criminals to North Dakota last winter, many hundreds of criminals, to torment south-central North Dakota. It started out as a legitimate protest by a Native American village But to illustrate that it was no longer them, when the chief said, okay, it's winter, we've made our protests, go away now, they wouldn't go away. Yeah, some of them wouldn't for sure. You know, that's that's part of the problem is, I mean, what's what's being, I mean, there there was certainly criminal activity at the protests. I mean, we all saw it. Highways were blocked. There was trespassing going on. There was physical violence going on. There was construction equipment being, uh, you know, vandalized, set on fire. There was uh, harassment of pipeline workers. So those are all crimes. So what the pipeline company is alleging is that these environmental groups essentially coordinated that crime towards the purpose of damaging the business of the pipeline company. That's that's their central gripe. And, I, I mean, it, 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 if what they're alleging is true and that those groups did organize this, I, I guess that's my point, is why shouldn't there be consequences? There should be consequences for that. Well, I'm a liberal Democrat, but I am on the side of the pipeline. And the reason is these criminals tormented many North Dakota residences in that area, many people, and uh, I want this to go to court. Yeah, I do, too. I think it's interesting. And, and listen, I am 100% in favor of free speech. I am for free speech for everybody. I mean, people I agree with, people I don't agree with, everybody has the right to demonstrate. But I I think what we've got to make clear is you do not have a right to organize a campaign of disruption and violence and other sorts of criminal activity against lawful industry, right? You you don't get to just show up and, you know, use your your clout and, and your networks of people and, and disrupt a business. And if, that's, if that is indeed what these groups that are, are targeted by this lawsuit did, then I think they absolutely should be held accountable. Thanks for the call, Karen. Appreciate it. 701 293 Email talk at Um I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know. On this ethanol thing, Nolan, what, what do you think? I mean, listen, I, I get it. We have a drought going on. We have low crop prices. I want farmers to be as successful as everybody else, but just as a strategy. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think long-term it's a good strategy to, to, to create this sort of artificial market for corn that is built on nothing other than a government mandate. I, I don't think that's, that's a sustainable practice. Well, you, well, you said before it's, uh, it's been a whatever 10 years in the making that they've been pushing ethanol as the, the – Big well, ethanol for, for decades. For decades, I mean, we're, you know? we go back to like the seventies, and and right? how ethanol's been around for a while. Yeah, and and how successful has it been in those decades leading up to now? I mean, at some point, we have to kind of look at this from an actual scope of is it effective? Is it actually bringing a, a successful market to these farmers? That's really that's really my thing. Is we have to kind of look yeah. at this a little bit more closely. Well, I mean, what, what outside of outside of the government mandates for ethanol blends? What is the market for ethanol? 
I have no idea. I, I, I don't know either. I, I mean, there must be some. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure man, maybe there is a market outside of, you know, the, um, you know, what, what the government's mandating. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, it just, again, I, I think it affects, we're trying to create a self-licking ice cream cone where it's just, it's just, we're, we're just creating a market. It's, 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 a, it's an entirely political construct where, you know, and, and born in, in a lot of ways to the fact that the American presidential process starts in Iowa of all places, but you know the, the the farmers have some very powerful lobbyists at times. Uh, they have a lot of senators and, and representatives from midwestern states where there are a lot of corn farmers who can't afford uh, to sit crosswise with those farmers, and so they have been able to to create, manufacture this market for ethanol. But unlike say the market for Coca Cola or uh, you know Ben and Jerry's ice cream or any other product that, that you mention that people voluntarily make and in turn sell in willing buyer, willing seller transactions to other people who actually want that product. Ethanol exists in the marketplace simply because of politics, period. And I'd say that it's even more important that they, they examine this even closer, especially like you were talking about in this drought where, I mean, a lot of farmers, especially in western North Dakota, are you know struggling to find you know legitimate crop prices legitimate you know great harvest seasons right i think it's even more important to to take a really hard look at the the ethanol market and see how actually legitimate it is especially in a time of drought because i can't recall well, there's, well, i can't well, recall there's, a time. there's no question that, 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 that increasing the ethanol mandate would at least short term boost crop prices right because right. it would create more demand for corn and you know, corn prices impact other crop prices. So, you know, that would be, you know, there's, there's, there's no doubt that, 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 is, that an increased government mandate for ethanol would have a positive impact, not just on corn crop prices, but on crop prices just about across the board. So that's, that's true. That's, that's reality. I'm just not sure that that's the right tactic. I'm, I'm not sure that, that we could keep going down this road where we're going to, you know, trade in, you know, long-term sustainability for short-term crop prices. I, that doesn't seem smart for me because one day I, I think this ethanol house of cards is going to have to, to collapse because right. again, it's, it's built on politics, not, not real demand. And, and especially in the division of farming where it's kind of a generational, uh, what's the industry even, you know, you got fathers passing it down to sons, things like that. I don't think a, 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 fa- a father farmer would want to pass down a possible unstable market to whatever generation they're passing this farm down to. I, I think the, you have to think of it in terms of, you know, how is it going to affect these farmers, uh, not only in the short term, but mainly in the long term? Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's very short-sighted, I think. I, I think the ethanol, it's, it's going to last as long as the politics lasts. And who knows? I mean, maybe maybe the ethanol politics can last another generation, but I, I just... I, I think what is best for farming long term is less reliance on politicians, less reliance on the government. Long term, that's the key because you know this this stuff with the farm bill and ethanol subsidies or, or ethanol mandates or, or whatever it is, you know farmers shouldn't farmers have enough variables in their life, you know the weather yeah. and and crop prices and everything else. They don't need to add politics to it. I mean, the the, the less exposed they are to politics, the less you know the, the success of the agriculture industry hinges on the politics of the moment, the better. Uh, and I, I got to tell you, hitching your wagon to ethanol at this point, 
is a pretty good way to, to, to keep being exposed to those politics, to keep having those, those political wins impacting your business. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's a good move. I don't think the North Dakota Farmers Union is doing farmers any favors with this ethanol push. But that's just me, and I don't know. Uh, let's see. Paul Barrett coming up next segment. We're going to talk uh, like uh, the caller Karen had with this, this lawsuit concerning the Dakota Access Pipeline protesters. Already Green Priest is out saying that this is corporate bullying. You know, this is a big, bad corporation bullying them. Are they right? We'll talk with uh, Paul Barrett. He is a feature writer for Bloomberg. Coming up next is the Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. You've all seen the news, Energy Transfer Partners filing lawsuit against Greenpeace and, well, a whole bunch of other defendants uh, regarding the protest against the Dakota Access Pipeline. They're alleging racketeering. They're alleging uh, a coordinated effort to perpetrate criminal activities, including terrorism, according to a statement put out by Energy Transfer Partners. Now, this, this, this sort of lawsuit is, is a relatively new phenomenon, but it's not necessarily unprecedented. Um, it's been sort of a new tactic we've seen maybe in recent years. Someone who's written about it is Paul Barrett. He is a feature writer for Bloomberg. Paul, welcome to the program. Thanks for your time today. Uh, you bet. Glad to be here. Tell us about these lawsuits. I mean, this isn't what, what, what Energy Transfer Partners is doing isn't necessarily it's, – it's not common, but it's not unique. Uh, this has happened before. Uh, yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, the same law firm that uh, filed this case on behalf of uh, Energy Transfer Partners, uh, a New York law firm uh, headed by Mark Kazowitz, who's a longtime personal lawyer uh, of President Trump, um, that same law firm last year filed a similar civil racketeering case uh, on behalf of uh, a Canadian timber company, against the same defendant, Greenpeace. Uh, so that law firm is making something of a cottage industry of filing these uh, interesting lawsuits. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that other action with, with the Canadian logging company, that's, that's not concluded yet. But how is that going? I mean, are, is there, are, have they been successful so far? Well, it's still, as you, as, you, uh, as you guessed correctly, it's still in the very preliminary stages. Um, so it's impossible to say whether that will survive and, and uh, make its way to trial even. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're both serious lawsuits um, brought by a heavy-duty law firm. And there's yet another precedent that we should uh, mention, which is the use by uh, Chevron of the same law, the civil racketeering law, uh, known uh, in shorthand as RICO, um, against uh, lawyer activists who uh, came after Chevron in Ecuador over oil pollution down there. And that case is concluded, and Chevron was successful in having uh, its antagonists held to be racketeers under the, the federal law. Th that case was a little bit different, because I remember that one. We, I mean, we were talking about there was like government corruption. I mean, there was a lot going on there that maybe necessarily isn't isn't even being alleged. I think at this point in in the Dakota Access case, and I, I guess I don't know about the logging case, but but you're right. Chevron's the big one, and Chevron won that case. 
Yes, it, it, it did. It uh, proved at trial uh, in New York that the uh, lawyers who had uh, come after it uh, basically turned their lawsuit into uh, an extortion scheme. Um, and uh, there was, you know, coercion of witnesses. There was uh, uh, ghostwriting of uh, official legal documents and the fabrication of evidence. And your distinction uh, is correct. You, you make a, a fair and important distinction in that the wrongdoing in the Chevron case um, was more severe uh, than what has been alleged uh, in the cases uh, involving the Dakota Access Pipeline and uh, the Canadian uh, logging company. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but if, if you're going to allege racketeering, does that require – I mean, because obviously what, what they're saying is that they, they coordinated some activity, uh, criminal activity is what they're alleging, and then somehow gained from it, right? And, and so my, my understanding is the gain is they're saying that these groups went out and they, they raised funds on the back of what they were doing in, in, in the Dakota Access protest, which obviously got – a huge amount of, of both local and, and national and even international media attention. They're saying that you know that they essentially did that to get. I mean, is is that the case? Is that an important part of the case that that these groups not only allegedly coordinated criminal activity against the pipeline construction project, but then also benefited from it through donations? Well, what's crucial in the case is you have to prove that there's some type of harm. The plaintiff has to uh, establish uh, that the actions uh, of the defendants uh, were the, the cause of, of harm that could be uh, quantified in, in some way. And in this case, uh, the, the plaintiff, Energy Transfer Partners, is alleging that it was harmed in that the uh, controversy that the uh, defendant, Greenpeace, and its colleagues uh, uh, allegedly manufactured um, cost uh, the pipeline company uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in reputational damage and also hindered the uh, pipeline company in its efforts to raise money in the capital markets. So that's the harm that's alleged. And along the way, Energy Transfer Partners also alleges um, that Greenpeace basically defrauded its own uh, contributors by uh, influencing them to uh, uh, give money uh, in connection with what the uh, pipeline company claims was a, uh, an empty and fraudulent environmental crusade. Do you now? Obviously, what what I have seen Greenpeace respond to this. What they have said is, this is corporate bullying. You know, this this is a big bad corporation out to to squelch dissent. Um, now, obviously, we're we're just. I mean, we're, we're, this lawsuit in in the Dakota Access case has just been filed. But the other case with the Canadian Timber Company. I mean, that's been going on a little bit longer. What sort of a defense is, is Greenpeace mounting there, and, and would they mount maybe a similar one in this instance? Yeah, I think they will uh, have a similar defense in both cases, and that defense boils down to the following, that this whole uh, civil racketeering uh, apparatus is a phony one, that at its heart um, what the companies are alleging is old-fashioned defamation, the uh, uh, expression of false falsehoods that cause damage to the plaintiff. And 
once you make that uh, move and you think about it as a defamation case rather than as a racketeering case, then certain First Amendment protections kick in to protect the speaker, in this case Greenpeace, um, which argues that it uh, is engaged in sort of the core kind of expression that the First Amendment should protect, which is to say uh, political uh, expression and discussion of matters of public concern. Um, so that's the the essence of, of the defense. Now, it's, it's interesting to me because I, I covered these protests in North Dakota very, very closely. And I watched mm-hmm. hours and hours and hours of footage of the protests that, that the organizers and, and the protesters themselves took, and they, they streamed on Facebook and everything else. And what I very often saw was that there were lawyers, or at least people claiming to be lawyers, on the scene who were instructing the protesters to, you know, write phone numbers on their bodies so that when they got arrested, they were picking certain people out uh, who, who I guess were, they called them arrestables, who I, I'm assuming were, were people who uh, were intending to go and, and, and do some sort of activity that, that would specifically, uh, intending to get arrested. Um, you know, we, we saw them, uh, you know, they had crews of people taking video uh, and, and, and we're within hours of, of, a, of a protest, we're able to have, you know, a, a very effective, you know, videos and, and photos and social media campaigns and everything uh, telling the protester side of the story. Now, I'm, I'm thinking, who's paying for all this? I mean, who's organizing? That, that sort of stuff doesn't just happen spontaneously. Uh, so, you know, who's paying for the lawyers? Who's paying for all this stuff? You know, because obviously, I mean, you're going in and when you have people specifically who are going to get arrested, you know, that to me says, you know, you have a coordinated campaign of going in and, and disrupting and doing illegal things. Now, if, 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 if a group, and, and certainly Energy Transfer Partners is alleging that Greenpeace and, and the co- co-defendants uh, were the ones organizing that, I mean, that, that seems pretty clear-cut to me. They were organizing criminal activity to specifically impede a project that, was permitted by the state of North Dakota, by other states the pipeline goes through, by the federal government, and as a, as a matter of fact, was being litigated simultaneous to the protest in federal court, uh, where a federal judge refused multiple times to, to issue injunctions to stop construction. So, I mean, from that perspective, to me, the pipeline case seems pretty strong. Uh- Okay, well, I'm, you know, if, if you want me to argue the other side, I will. But uh, what I would say initially is you've made a. Oh, yeah, a very, and I, I know you don't want to take, you don't very, want to take a position, you, but yeah, I mean, poke holes in that argument. What's what's the other side going to say? Well, before I do that, I'll say you you made a, a cogent argument, and you probably missed your calling um, as a uh, as a trial lawyer um, because well, you, you made the, you made the kind of that. very persuasive case um, that trial lawyers uh, would try to make. Um, on the other side would be the argument that uh, there's absolutely nothing illegal about sending lawyers along with protesters to uh, tell them what their rights are. Furthermore, there's nothing um, in and of itself uh, that uh, is improper if people um, you know, commit civil disobedience and are willing to be arrested to, you know, to express their opposition to a political figure, or in this case, to an industrial project, um, if they trespass and they get arrested for it, then they they pay whatever the penalty is for for trespassing. Um, the question is, what happens after the fact when you have a, another party, not the state, 
um, as represented by its police force and its courts, but a private party come along and say, I want um, basically to punish you again for the very act of, of protesting. If, if, the, uh, if the demonstrators did something wrong, the police should arrest them and, and punishment should be uh, exacted uh, at, at that stage. I, I think that would be the, the strong argument uh, in the other direction, that the, the, yeah. the, the RICO allegation is basically redundant with uh, all of the enforcement that already uh, has taken place. Yeah. And I, I, I think a lot of the people who observed it here, and I, I know you're certainly not taking sides in this, but uh, a, a lot of the people here, I, I think, would argue the pipeline company had the permits. It was legal for them to work. They're allowed to build a pipeline. And, and certainly the incessant protests, um, you know, the, the organized activity to go out there and disrupt that construction. I mean, we, you had spokesmen for the, pro, for the protesters specifically talking about their, their intent was to run up a big bill for the pipeline company and, frankly, the state of North Dakota by going out there and being disruptive and engaging in, in activity that was illegal. I'm not so sure that, that the company can't say, listen, it took us, it cost us X number of dollars more to build this pipeline because of this activity. I mean, that, that to me seems like a, like a very strong case that, that's even above and beyond, you know, the simple act of you trespassed or you uh, cut the wires on a bulldozer or, or whatever that activity was. So, it's going to be an interesting case to, to watch. And, and, Paul, certainly, I thank you for your time. Any final thoughts on it? Uh, no, I agree with you. I think it's, it's, a, it's a vital case. And, the, and a big question is, will this become a pattern? Will uh, this law firm or other law firms basically encourage their corporate clients to bring these sorts of cases in, in yeah. more settings against Greenpeace or against other uh, activists? Because, uh, you know, if, if it can work in these cases, perhaps it'll turn up in other settings as well. Yeah, well, uh, it, it's probably going to depend on how this case and, and, and the one with the uh, Canadian uh, timber company turns out as well. Paul, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks. That is Paul Barrett. He is a feature writer for Bloomberg. I'm Rob Port. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. We'll wrap the show up right after this. Look away. Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. We talked about ethanol, and then we just got done talking about that lawsuit against uh, Greenpeace and others, uh, followed by Energy Transfer Partners over the Dakota Access Pipeline protest. Uh, Nolan, we got an email? Yeah, Andrew writes in uh, in regards to the ethanol topic that we were talking about earlier. Don't you support sure. U.S.-made products? Ethanol helps cut imports of fuels. I don't care about farmers as much as I care about national security and the economic and impact staying local and in the U.S. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I support more than American-made products. I support the American-made economic system, which is a free market system, whereby America benefits from free trade. Now, I know that's not very fashionable right now, and we have a president uh, that is very much has a different point of view. But generally, I think one of the strengths of America has always been that products from all over the world come here, and our products go to all over the world. And I think that's something we ought to promote. And generally, I think consumers ought to buy the product that works best for them on price and quality and whatever else. 
regardless of where it's made. I, I don't think that buying America is, is really all that patriotic. I think supporting the free market is much more patriotic. As for national security and the rest of it, I, I think that's a bunch of bunk. Uh, ethanol is a product that's not terribly needed. Um, and, and it used to be, because I think they used to make this argument about, you know, energy independence. And, you know, we were back when we were getting a lot of our oil from the Middle East. But I, I don't know. I mean, we are tapping into huge reserves of oil. As a matter of fact, I was just reading an article about the Permian oil play down in Texas, where they were saying we may never hit a day where we pump the last bit of economic oil out of that oil play. I right. mean, the energy picture has changed. Um, it's, it's a brave new world out there. And, and even, even if oil became a problem and we had to move to something else, there would still be better alternatives than ethanol. Ethanol isn't used in the market because ethanol doesn't work very well. The only reason ethanol works well is as a political device for politicians to get, voter, uh, get votes in farm states, period. That's, and, that's, that's ethanol's big utility. That's where ethanol uh, serves its purpose is, uh, is, is, is getting votes in farm states. We do have that's a call. It. And, and that's, probably, that's probably inconvenient for me to say, but, you know, that's just reality. Yeah, no. Yeah, we got, a, we got a caller. Paul, you got about a minute here. Paul, what do you got? Hey, Rob. Uh, big fan of your show. Thank you. Anyway, uh, there was an article in Popular Mechanics years ago called The Ethanol fallacy uh look it up if you can okay uh basically i'll look into it yeah ethanol does not work it's a waste of energy and resources all right yeah i agree thanks i agree paul if it wasn't a waste of of energy and resources then the federal government wouldn't have to mandate it use i can't think of any product ever in the history of the world that was good on its own merits that you had to force people to use i just can't so, I don't know. That's reality. Hey, that's it for the Rob Report today. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. Remember, you can always catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 970 AM and 93.1 FM. And, of course, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at SayAnythingBlog.com. And, hey, if you can't catch the show live, check out the podcast app, uh, the podcast uh, tab at SayAnythingBlog.com. Subscribe to the podcast. It's free. It's easy. And you'll get this show every single day right on your phone or other device. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.